podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. We uh, recently got selected to be part of this Indie Hackers Podcast Network, which is a, a big community in the startup world. And yeah, we're, we're trying out some new things. And and we're also trying out a new intro. <laughs> so we'll, we'll do that. And Ethan doesn't even know what it is. Really. Ethan has no idea what's going on. It's typical. I'm going to be a no idea what's going on today kind of person. Yeah, you don't even know what the idea is today. So I'll tell you about it a little bit here. We're talking about synthetic diamonds. Marika van der Velden. I probably butchered that name, so she's laughing at me right now. But she runs this high-end escort service in the Netherlands. And she is bringing us an idea here to take over the diamond industry with uh, synthetic diamonds, uh, synthetic diamonds and gemstones. This is something that she had thought about years ago. We'll talk about how some people can launch unconventional or perhaps risque business ideas and, and some of the things that Marika has learned in running an escort service in the Netherlands. I thought this was supposed to be a conversation up front. Is that right? Well, you have no idea what's going on, Ethan, so (laughs) there's not much for you to say. (laughs) All right. When do I come in and I give the official... Intro, Marika. Marika's sitting here. Okay. Marika van der Velden. She is the founder and owner of the largest high-end escort service in the Netherlands, Society Service. The service they offer is called the Girlfriend Experience which means spending time with an escort will feel similar to spending time with a girlfriend who says that's enjoyable. Sometimes it's not. I don't know. Like she put in the bad parts. I don't know. Um, she started this business at 21 that now generates $200,000 per month. Welcome to the show. And Chris, are you going to cut me off like we typically do? <laughs> yeah, I'll cut you off right now. Post, <laughs> post, post cut off. So Ethan, super impressive. But you know this show is about new business ideas, and Marika is bringing us one here to launch a synthetic diamonds business. Marika, how did you come up with this idea? It's about uh, 12 years ago that I saw a shop in Hong Kong selling uh, synthetic gemstones, and I bought a few of the pieces that they had on sale. Um, They were set very nicely in jewelry, but they weren't diamonds. So it made me wonder if uh, such a thing would be available as actual diamonds. I'd heard about synthetic diamonds being used in uh, um, construction work for uh, sawing stuff, but I hadn't heard about it being used in actual jewelry that, that women wear. And so I looked into it and found that there are indeed synthetic diamonds. They were already there. I think this is about 12 years ago. Um, and I did uh, search and, and try a little bit, but it's it's quite a difficult business. At, at least then it was. Well, it's, it's obviously very high margin, very lucrative business. There's a lot of literal blood, sweat and tears that go into the diamond industry. Yeah. We've all seen Blood Diamond, which is, you know, the, the basis of our knowledge here, collective knowledge on the show, at least for, I don't even know if Ethan has that much knowledge. We'll I don't, <laughs> we'll I have not seen Blood Diamond Honestly, I think that it's it's not Leo's best, but... But probably an important issue to be raised, of course. Yeah. An important issue to be raised, for sure. Mm-hmm. But something like this, a synthetic diamond coming in, they're about 30% cheaper than traditional diamonds. And, and traditional diamonds are very expensive. People tend to go a little bit crazy when uh, when they're purchasing them, especially during an engagement, especially in the United States. So this is something that can easily run into the 
the thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, depending on on your financial situation. They say that a ring should be three months salary, which is probably some brilliant advertising slogan from De Beers back in the day. So I imagine that this would be a pretty hard industry to get into. I'm, I'm yeah. picturing like the the letters that you would get slipped under your doorstep at night saying, stay away from this business or, <laughs> you know, we'll see what happens to your family. I think there is a big lobby and a big interest from uh, the current jewelers and the biggest ones being the beers, for example, for, to, you know, to keep out synthetic diamonds. I think it's, however, unavoidable that they will be in the market. So you see that the beers is actually producing them now. That's, I mean, people are becoming more and more aware of where a stone is coming from and what's behind it. We've, like you said, we've all seen the movie. Uh, you don't want to be associated with this. Uh, maybe for some people it's not an issue or, or they, they're safe with the choice they've made in when they purchase the jewelry. But when you buy a synthetic diamond, this is not an issue anymore. So it's worth getting into the weeds a little bit here in terms of how diamonds are assessed. And this is, uh, there's a official grading system available for diamonds on on multiple scales. If you're ever purchasing a, a high-end diamond, they talk about the four C's, which is color, clarity, cut, and carat weight. And each of those things, at least 10 years ago, they were difficult to achieve synthetically, but now it's much more much more achievable. And synthetic diamonds at this point are virtually indistinguishable from uh, natural diamonds as they're now called. But this organization, GIA, I don't know what they stand for, but they uh, they provide certificates for the diamond industry and they have a separate one for synthetic diamonds versus natural diamonds. But in order to tell the difference, you have to send it off to a special laboratory. You can't, even if you're an advanced uh, gemologist, you can't tell this by the naked eye or even with one of the special glasses that they use to examine diamonds. Yeah, in many ways, they are exactly the same as uh, natural grown diamonds. It, like you said, there's there's no difference except in the price range and how they are produced. I mean, uh, I've done a little bit of research earlier today. Uh, there are a few people providing those in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, they're about half the price of uh, the real thing. If you look online in uh, more American uh, resellers, uh, I would say they're about a quarter of the size, or a quarter of the price that a natural diamond of the same well size, color, and clarity would be. So, what are some of the challenges that you foresee in starting a business where you have these deeply entrenched companies who are going to try and prevent shifting in this direction? You talked about it a little bit. De Beers is is making their own synthetic diamonds, but still, they're not the only people in the value chain here. There are uh, everyone from local jewelers to um, end consumers to diamond manufacturers and or miners who are all part of this of this uh, industry, and it seems like it would be a, a very uphill battle. Can you get around that just via price? Well, I mean, there's money to be made even with synthetic diamonds. For for example, jewelers don't have to notice a difference uh, margin-wise whether they're selling a natural diamond or a lab-made diamond, as far as the bigger companies, uh, the bigger ones will try and crush the little ones. So that this is something I would expect the, from the biggest names in the industry to be doing, uh, to uh, say this is not a real diamond or there are uh, problems with the diamond for this and this and this reason, uh, to kind of give it a bad image. I don't expect them to arrive at my doorstep and say, if you do this, we're going to kill your cat or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like what's 
what's interesting about about today's program for me, and I have to apologize. I did not. I I feel like a total idiot because I didn't have time to do as much as research as Chris did. Um, he's probably just making me look bad, basically. But um, that's my goal. He's got a lot of facts and figures about this particular industry. I think if I were a listener, the listener that we're listening to, I'd be really interested in your existing business, maybe more so than <laughs> maybe more so than our typical guest, right? So somebody might come on and say. They've got a business where they provide accounting services for small businesses or something like that. And then they're coming on and talking about something more exciting, you know. Um, but I feel like I feel like I'd be kind of constantly thinking, but wait, in the beginning of the show, <laughs> they said she has a high-end escort service. And I feel like I don't want to I don't want to ignore that, you know. And I I want to ask how it relates to the business that you already have, this idea, right? So you're in this space of kind of sexuality and, you know, this idea of girlfriends. And of course, when you get into diamonds, there's sort of the marriage transition, right? Between girlfriends and, and, uh, and marriage. Do you see um, like a connection between the two businesses? Uh, do you feel like some, there's some expertise you have about human psychology or, or anything that you could apply to, you know, have a leg up in this particular domain? Well, if you run an escort service, and mind you, this is fully legal in the Netherlands, so I can speak very freely about what it is that I do. I have a permit, we pay, pay taxes and everything, uh, but I can imagine it's quite a different thing for other people. When you run an escort service, you do notice how far people are willing to go to create a memorable encounter and to create a certain feeling, feeling desired, um, desiring another person, and the luxury that comes with booking at a high-end agency. I'm not saying the ladies are all dressed uh, in designer wear with big diamonds uh, and everything, but it does trigger a little bit your, the feeling of luxury and the feeling of desiring something. And I think the length people are willing to go to be desired or to desire something does overlap a little bit with the synthetic diamond thing. A diamond or a beautiful jewelry is something that many people desire as well. And yes, it's associated with marriage and proposals, but it's also it's also associated with gifts and with uh, spoiling a person or uh, wanting something that may not be obtainable normally. I think that is the same for an, an escort, for example, if one of the clients were to approach a similar looking lady or personality similar to the to the ladies working with me, uh, approach them in the street, and that would not be something that they would be easy to obtain. And that also applies to diamonds. It's also, also not something that's easy to obtain, but it is highly desired. So I think in that mm. perspective, it does relate a little bit to my current business. Yeah, I'm fascinated because I, I feel like you know, there's so many different domains that we talk about when we're talking about business, you know, all the way from just the basic accounting and, you know, how you think about the numbers to, you know, the more theoretical, like there's got to be a pain involved before you start a business because you want to solve somebody's problems, right? Um, so, I th it's just fascinating to think about desire as the foundation for your business. Yeah. And I'm also fascinated about, let's to put it in the domain of diamonds and your existing business, like, we talk about, I think in business is pain a lot, right? Like somebody has a pain point and then the business is supposed to solve it. Then there's another side of like uh, achieving something great, which sometimes is a little bit harder to associate with a pain. It's more about an ambition or an aspiration. 
being lonely, for example, can be very hurtful for a person. And I think it's it's something that can be solved by booking an escort. So if that is the problem, then the solution could be to book an escort or to make friends. Or I mean, there are, of course, many, many other alternatives. But I think any business, like you say, is built around needing or wanting or desiring something and offering a solution for this. And that's no different whether you're selling synthetic diamonds or whether you are running an escort service. I'm curious also, like, what is the, like, as we market this and we try to get our first customers, what would we, how would we describe our client avatar in terms of what is the problem they're trying to solve by getting the diamond? So I guess we've established pretty obviously they're trying to save some money. Um, but is there anything beyond that? Like, I think there are two approaches. One, of, one is the money part. You want something um, that is very costly normally, that may not be uh, within someone's budget. And the uh, alternative being the synthetic diamonds could be within the budget then uh, without other people noticing that it's um, uh, it's different from a natural grown diamond. And so when a person sees this type of ring on your finger, they will assume a certain price level associated with it. But in, in reality, you paid a little bit less for it. I think that's one way to approach it. The second thing is that it being a conflict-free diamond. It's also a pain point. I think it could be a concern for people who shop at the bigger agencies, the bigger um, uh, jewelries. Um, that they are afraid that maybe the the pieces that they are buying is uh, they are associated with all conflicts. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, and that would be a huge benefit. One thing that comes to mind for me is, and I'm stepping out, out of my comfort zone a little bit in describing this this phenomenon, but there's the joke of women when you compliment them on their outfit, they say, "Oh, this old thing, you know, I got it at uh, Target for thirty percent off or something like that." Uh, but people don't want to do that with diamonds, right? They don't want to downplay, oh, this was only, this was 50% off. They wouldn't br- want to brag about something like that. That's one case in which they really want to say, I got the best of the best. And this is just, you know, look, look at how much my partner loves me based on on this engagement ring. So how would you get around that? How What type of language would you use? You talked about the positioning about conflict-free. I think that's very compelling. I think that there are people out there who would say, are you crazy? I'm not going to spend $10,000 on a diamond ring. Like, I don't want to be that. I'm going to brag about not doing that. So I think that those are two groups of people. Is that enough to build a business on? No. I mean, I'm Dutch. Dutch are known for being the cheapest people on the world. And and this whole, look, I got this on sale thing doesn't even apply here. So I don't see this being something major in the business, in all honesty, at least not from my perspective. Maybe it's a cultural thing, but for me, uh, this is definitely not something I would want to brag about. If anything, perhaps maybe it's a little bit of the stigma. So attached, like my business has a stigma attached to uh, lab-grown diamonds may also be a little bit stigmatized that people will pretend that they are not or just withhold the information that they are because there's no way of telling even if you are an expert there's absolutely no way you'll be able to tell from a diamond whether or not it's been uh, natural grown or lab uh, grown and one of the selling points for me would be to say they look this they are the same if not the synthetic version is better because they have less flaws yeah i mean i i see a huge opportunity here 
um, for, for making it better. Right. I mean, you could even have, I'm sure it's been tried. This may be a terrible idea, but like branded diamonds, right? So if you make it synthetically, there's probably a way to insert a specific signature, you know? And so now instead of paying less for a synthetic diamond, you could say, well, this diamond was, you know, manufactured by this particular manufacturer who is associated with high end and luxury and so on and so forth. I think there are even companies out there who are taking some personal aspect of you and, and some carbon deposit and, and turning them into diamonds, into lab-grown diamonds. So you can, I don't know, let's say your cat did pass away. You can have your cat's yeah. remains turned right. into a diamond. Yeah, it's very small diamond, though, which, that you can make from the ashes of a deceased animal or person. Uh, they're, they're like the size of a rice grain. Yeah. yeah. So let's get into this, the nuts and bolts of this idea itself here. Are you imagining becoming a jeweler for no. uh, synthetic diamonds? No. I mean, my knowledge of gemstones is like close to zero. Uh, the same applies to diamonds. At the time, I did look into it uh, a little bit more, but it's, uh, first of all, it's many years ago. I think the technology did evolve quite a bit. From what I can tell, the, uh, the offer of synthetic diamonds is much, much bigger now than it was at the time. Also for clear diamonds, um, back then the offer was mainly light blue, light pink uh, diamonds. The clear ones were very difficult to obtain and still very, very expensive. Yeah. So what would you do then? Because there, there are companies out here. I'm looking at a website. It's labtika.com and you can get a yeah. 0.9 carat round cut lab diamond. And yeah. I don't remember all these acronyms, what they mean, but SI1K IGI certificate for $636. Yeah. It seems it looks like a you know perfectly good diamond and uh, significantly cheaper. It would be hard to compete directly with with someone like that who's already established. Yeah. So I'm wondering what you would do in this space. If I were to sell this in the Netherlands, I would do two things. First, well, three things. Set up a very very good online web shop. I would not go with physical stores, but I would offer people the opportunity to view the diamonds um, via a secure shipping method. I looked into that with packaging that's see-through or it being checked and, and so people know what they are buying. Uh, but I wouldn't go for a physical store because I think it's not worth the costs. Then the second thing I would do is set up a, a Google Analytics account so you're visible online. And then I think for selling this in the Netherlands, I would connect it with a known Dutch person and make them the spokesperson of the synthetic diamonds. And are you picturing, so you're picturing selling diamonds themselves to end consumers? No, satin, satin jewelry. So not, okay. just a, not just a stone, but the actual piece of jewelry. So you would find an expert to yeah. partner with to do this? What would be the, the first step that you would take there? Look within my own network. Who do I know that can do this for me? Or who knows someone who knows someone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about numbers a little bit here in terms of, so we, we just found out at the beginning of the episode, you're at $200,000 a month for um, probably at a minimum. That was, that was a bit ago that we posted those numbers, but for your current business. So in starting a business like this, like what kind of goal would you set if you really, if, if you decided, Hey, I'm actually going to jump into this. What kind of goal do, would we set? We can put it out to everybody, you know, like for the first year of revenue, well, I think it's a capital-intensive business. You need to purchase a lot of stones ahead. So it requires quite a bit of capital. I think break, making break-even in the first year would be perfect already. 
And are we are we thinking like a million dollar, a million dollars in the first year, basically breaking even, meaning we we'll spend a million dollars, make a million dollars, something like that? I have no clue. Perhaps there's a way to purchase per stone. Uh, that way you could make customized jewelry and then per order you could say, okay, this is the amount we pay for the stone. This is for the jeweler. This is for selling the stone and then make it like a building block of people uh, in between who make a bit of money. That would be ideal for a starting business, of course, because it doesn't require a big investment. Yeah, it seems like you wouldn't even need inventory if you could do it that way. People are accustomed to waiting a little bit for custom jewelry. So it's not like uh, you need to deliver it within two days. Yes, and keeping an inventory of expensive stones may not be the smartest thing to do um, or to have this registered somewhere. I think the chances of break-ins would be very high. I wonder if there's another approach that you can take. People tend to like custom jewelry, but I wonder if you could do almost like a, a limited edition release and you you accrue orders and you say, uh, this is going to be our, uh, our release. We're only selling a thousand units worldwide of these special earrings. They're the only ones that are ever going to be made. They're going to have this, uh, this diamond set and this design. And then you partner with a, a celebrity if you can. Uh, to market that. And mm. you get around the inventory management issue. You can pre-sell it if you do it that way. And that seems much more achievable than if you were to try and b- build a business where you're building custom uh, sets of jewelry as uh, as you go. Yeah, it makes sense. Because I think when you're selling natural uh, diamonds, you are uh, building on the uniqueness of the stone there's only one of its kind wherever whereas with lab diamonds you're not you're basically saying we produce this on demand whatever you want we will make it it's not unique as a natural diamond would be so making like um uh, like you suggested like a series of this is a temporary edition and this is a temporary edition it could definitely work i think another piece of this that's interesting is the story you know i feel like even beyond the value of the diamond itself, I, th- I think even the story of the value of the diamond is really what's most important to people. And so I feel like in this type of industry, you could get somewhere special. Like I'm thinking about this, oh, you just go to Laptica and you get a diamond and you move on from there. So then I think what gets inserted there is the story. Like if you can expand the story, if you could make the story more special, if you could customize it in some way anyway, that gives someone a story that's beautiful that they can tell about what's going on. And I think this like locks in a little bit more deeply to what you brought up earlier about how how far people will go to fulfill a desire, which is really a story, you know, to be able to tell a story. So that's getting me really excited about a potential story of by buying one of our diamonds, you are preventing one day of work for a child laborer in Africa. You are saving that much, you know, that much time, whatever the the amount is, if you can quantify that in some way, that would get people really excited. I would think. I'll I'll be fully honest with both of you. I am not a person that finds diamonds attractive. Like I, I, when I see someone proud of a diamond on their hand, I always think like, what's the matter with you inside? Where's your value, you know, internally that you have to look at your hand to remind yourself, you know, and I know there are beautiful stories around rings and things like this. So I don't want to diminish it. But to Chris's point, I think there could be something 
behind creating a story that actually attracts someone kind of like me, right? Who's like, yeah, it's not about the diamond. There's something else. You're actually, you're buying this synthetic diamond almost to make a statement um, about this sort of traditional diamond industry and the traditional things that are going on to say, you know, this is what I care about. I care about changing the world in a positive way. I care about, you know, making people's health better or, you know, helping people get educated or whatever it is. I really like that as a symbol and like a branded symbol of how, you know, I or maybe my partner or whoever I'm giving it to, we care about the world. You know, we care about the world in some special way. I like that. And, and Chris, you know, can talk about this because he loves Tesla. You know, I mean, he's in love with the brand. He's in love with the founder, all of this. And so Elon Musk sort of did this. He said, let's take this like fancy gas guzzling, you know, car that is just an object of desire and put that into a company where by buying that object of desire that can go fast and do fancy things that you might want to, you might are more like visceral, let's do something good in the world. Like let's change the planet. Let's change the type of energy we use and things like that. I think people also do economically value things uh, more when they align with their values. At least in the US, people are more likely to, I'm more likely to spend a little bit more on Tom's shoes uh, because I know that they will will donate it. So it's kind of a, I would like companies like that to succeed. There's a big movement in the United States for certified B corporations. Uh, and uh, they're explicitly, part of their mandate is to do public good, not just make a lot of money. So I think that there's room for that. I mean, we're both, we're both in the US. We don't know the Dutch market as well, mm, of course. Right. But I do think that People would get excited about that that story of hey, I by buying this diamond, not only did I save money, but I inhibited this this horrible industry of uh, mining diamonds in in Africa. I think another thing that could be beneficial is to be fully t- transparent about where your stones are coming from because. I mean, it's something that they can easily do themselves. They can go online, buy a synthetic stone, take it to their jeweler and um, have a custom-built ring by themselves. So that uh, if you could be transparent about where you are coming from and why you are doing it in the way that you are, this could solve the whole being easily copied part. I think what I was curious about, and this kind of pulls back to earlier as well, you, you mentioned like you were starting the business and uh, and you had a couple of different ideas going on and the diamonds thing didn't work out. We talked about whether we launch big or we launch small. In terms of the escort business, was that something that you feel was kind of an inch by inch bootstrapped process or do you feel uh, like yeah. you... Yes. No, for sure. It was by trial and error. <laughs> I just, in the beginning, I just kind of winged it. I thought, okay, let's give it a try. I mean, I was still in university doing my last years of my master. And I I kind of figured, I mean, this is far from what my parents had in mind when I said, I'm, I'm going to university and I'm going to be successful in life. This is not what they saw. And I did keep it a secret for a while in the beginning because I wanted to keep my options open. This is not something that appeals to the main uh, consultative firms that otherwise I would have been working for. So I kind of just took it well year by year i wouldn't say day by day i'm a planner and i like planning ahead uh, but it was a year by year thing that uh, almost took me five to maybe seven years to decide okay this is a valid business and this is this is my life this is what i do and this is how i want to do it 
Do you know a number of how much you invested of your own money before you felt like it came back to you? I invested 2,000 euros. 2,000 euros. Yes. Incredible. Yes. <laughs> and I started the business. And you saw it become profitable after putting that much in? A year. It was a, a profitable uh, straight, well, from the first few months. I started the business with someone else. In the beginning, the cooperation was really uh, doing, going really well. We were very much complementing each other. But after like about two years, it turned out that her vision and mine were not on the same page. So we decided to split. It was a bit of a legal battle. But if I were to tell you what I paid her to sell her part of the business to me, it would be, you would be laughing, really. It was the best investment of, of, of my life. How much was that then? I want a good laugh. <laughs> but it's it's very very little compared to uh, the turnovers that uh, the revenues. How much was the now. what was the revenue you were bringing in at that point? Where you uh, maybe the revenue was about a hundred thousand euros. Hundred thousand euros. Yeah, the third year we were doing business, and I mean for a twenty three year old, that's a lot of money. If you split it between sure. two people, that's uh, it's a lot more than the average student will make. Yeah, you have a much different background than uh, most of our guests here, not just because the business that you're in, but also being Dutch, we don't get a chance to talk to business owners uh, from the Netherlands often. So hearing some of the perspective that you shared with how Dutch people think. We talked a little bit about society service. Can you share a little bit more about where listeners can go to uh, to learn more? Sure. We have a website. Uh, we are an online business after all. Uh, it's www.societyservice.com. Uh, it's fully in English uh, as well as in Dutch, but um, I'm assuming most of the listeners will be uh, heading for the, the English version of the website. Probably so, yes. Yeah. And I have to ask, because it is timely, with the pandemic, are things just full swing for you or have you had to uh, to change your business dramatically? Are you still accepting clients? Uh, well, the, there was a mandatory closure for three and a half months in the beginning of the pandemic, which was like between April and July, we were fully closed. Uh, it was very unfortunate. For me as an entrepreneur, I have my backups and my reserves, so it's fine, but it's in particular the ladies that were left out of all compensation, which was um, uh, not nice, obviously. Um, we're up and running. It's uh, slower than normally. Um, makes sense because we depend a bit on international travelers who visit the Netherlands and then are looking for some entertainment or some company. Uh, who book with us of course they are not traveling to the netherlands at the moment um however dutch people aren't traveling abroad as well so we do have a bit more dutch clients at the moment i think at the end of the year we'll be at 50 percent of the revenue that we made last year but our last quarter during which we were fully open wasn't that much worse than uh, the same quarter uh, in 2019. so i don't want to complain too much it's not all that awful yeah, well, we are rooting for you for sure. Thank you very much for the time that you spent here with us and sharing this idea. Thank you for listening. See you next time. The podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to transistor.fm run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.